fit in these changing technological times? Is the system excluding you or including you? I'm James Felton Keith, inviting you to tune in to Inclusionism, a new code of equity every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. I'll interview leading activists, academics, diplomats, and business people about what it truly means to be included in the 21st century. That's Inclusionism, every Sunday at 5.30 p.m. on WHCR 90.3 FM, The Voice of Harlem. Welcome to Inclusionism. I'm your host, James Felton Keith. It's 5.33.34 in the p.m. on Sunday. Um, welcome back to my church where we normally just talk about exclusion and uh, remedies uh, to it. And this week we have uh, Dan Hogel on the show. He's uh, a native of Syracuse but works here in New York with the Black Institute He's a professional campaigner. Is that a is that a good way to phrase it? Uh, yes, I guess so. Okay, or if you want to use a different oh, no, title, that's, that's, yeah, that's quite all right. We like to label people here because um, you know I think we are we wear the labels that we present in the world, but we also wear all the labels that people push onto us. And um, I think in sort of our cultural arbitrage, for lack of better words, we um, are whoever we are. Uh, and so uh, Dan is working on, well, actually quite a few issues, but, uh, but the one that we're going to dig into and do a deep dive uh, into today is really the state of marijuana and marijuana policy here in New York State, how that trickles down to municipalities, your counties, your cities, you name it, and also how we might leverage either the progress or lack thereof in marijuana policy to take the D.C., you know, um, as someone who's running for a federal office, I'm constantly considering 
how we use the best of New York to to spread it uh, throughout the rest of the federation of ideas. So, Dan, thank you for for coming all the way up. Where are you, where are you coming from? Uh, Canarsie, actually, but I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So, wait, how long how long did it take? Just uh, an hour? I didn't even keep track. <laughs> I left at two, so I make sure I get here on time. <laughs> <laughs> two, four, five o'clock. Okay. Wow. All right. So that's pretty far. Um, so let's dive like right in. So this is a nerdy show. Like we we can go deep into the weeds, stuff people have never heard of. We'll post back on the podcast uh, after this show, so they can do a lot of googling around. If that's you great. see the red bulb come up, uh, someone's calling. But uh, we're not gonna take any calls, folks, because I got a, a whole bunch of my own questions and, and where I want to take some of these issues. So. But now, I guess let's just start with the, the state of marijuana policy uh, in the state of New York right now. Where did we leave off in the last legislative session? Well, it opened with uh, both the uh, both houses of the legislature and the governor presenting their competing visions of what a legalized adult use program in New York would look like. Um, and I think both sides did their best uh, within reason to come to an agreement uh, and realizing that some of these things were a little bit more complex and not able to get done in just a few months, uh, fell out of the budget and at various times closer than others, but went right down to the wire. They were working on a compromise and got pretty close. Uh, they had the votes in the assembly, a little bit short in the Senate. But what uh, was the compromise? It was, it was just budget issue around like who versus who? Um, well, the, the assembly so, versus Senate, the governor versus everybody. Well, the Senate and assembly, uh, Majority Leader People Stokes and Senator Liz Krueger have a same as bill that they've done a lot of work with, really comprehensive. Sure. Um, so they sort of had a unified front there going into uh, budget negotiations. And So uh, Krueger and Stewart Cousins are, so they're the producers of for the For sure. They're the, the, of the MRTA, the Marijuana Regulation and Taxation The Act. MRTA, okay. Mm -hmm. And that included a legalized adult use program, um, social justice uh, as a priority in terms of how the revenue spent, sure. uh, expanded the medical program, um, uh, decriminalized, um, expunged, so sort of a, you know, a full package. Sure. Um, and as did the governors, addressed you know some of those things to varying degrees of success. Uh, so both of them, none of them were perfect. Yeah. And I think as the session barreled on, we sort of took from one and gave to the other and from everything that we had heard towards the end there was a general agreement on the regulatory framework and, sure. and the number of the categories of licenses and some of these other you know broad strokes um, hmm. other than uh, a few sticking points with uh, how the revenue was going to be allocated whether the governor was going to have you know real control over that or if in the legislation they were able to really mandate how the social justice social equity funds were going to be you know, allocated and, and earmarked uh, beyond, so, you know. No, yeah, all right. So you're saying, at this point you're saying, so the, so the governor wanted to control the, the distribution or redistribution of, of revenues that come from the industry mm -hmm, uh, in his effort to facilitate social justice. That's what we're saying. And, I'm just trying to if we, uh, yes, simplify. That, that was definitely a priority. Yeah. <laughs> that definitely was a priority in, uh, in his bill. Um, to, he thinks he could do it. And to what degree of success, you know, we, there are varying opinions on. <laughs> um, I would feel more comfortable if it was in the letter of the law and we didn't have to, you know, rely on the, the you know, the well intentions of a governor because. So what would that look, so is any of that in, in Liz's, because I've, I've seen talks that she's, well, she's closer to me, obviously, geographically. Um, so I've heard things that she said 
is the letter of the law, and I'm not familiar with the with the the legislation itself, uh, page for page, but does it establish a framework to distribute funds in a deliberately equitable way that the communities that have been affected agree is equitable? I think so. I think a lot of the community grassroots folks sure. really rally behind the MRTA, and it did it in a few different ways, not just in making sure that folks in those communities who wanted to participate in the marketplace as an entrepreneur could sure. get a license, but uh, to provide um, reentry programs to... What does know, reentry mean? Folks that might have been incarcerated for something like this, for sure. something that was then legalized, you sure. know, for them not to be able to be uh, penalized for that job skill, and then... I heard Liz say, though, that in. that was like a small number. Like, the the people who would be able to reenter wasn't... It didn't... And I'm paraphrasing here. It didn't seem to be like a, a large of enough number. Well, so the total arrests for the past 20 years is over 800,000. So oh, okay. I don't All know right. how many. Yeah. So it may be people who aren't, um, you know, currently, you know, locked up for something like this now, but who sure. have a nagging charge from their past that would prevent them from a getting a license. Sure. Um, and a friend of mine uh, that I spoke to, uh, you know, a tragic story. He was a good student going to school at Penn State to be an accountant. Mm -hmm. And got caught with a few bags of marijuana in Pennsylvania. That's a felony. I'm like in New York or Pennsylvania? No, in Pennsylvania. Okay. He got caught in Pennsylvania while he was at school, and so they kicked him out of school, and, you know, it's taken him a, a very long time and a lot of hard work, but he's got a successful business in the Bronx now, and I had a chance to sit down and talk to him about, you know, he already has a commercial storefront that he runs and maintains with employees and things like that, and yeah. it's a shame if yeah. a charge from, you know, his early late teen years in another state precludes him from that. So I think their bill did a lot to allow a pathway in for folks who want to participate and then also did a lot to distribute those funds in a way that helps begin to undo some of the damage. Right, because you're saying if you're designated as a criminal by the state or any state that communicates with other states, then they won't give you a business license, period. Like, that, that's what you mean. There's some, there's, in various versions, there have been some troubling language about morality clauses and things like that where they would, and think about it for a liquor license now. Mm -hmm. If you've got a felony, they will bring it up, you know, in your liquor license no, hearing. You know, I've experienced similar things. So I have had a misdemeanor for a uh, traffic ticket before. Mm -hmm. I got a ticket in Times Square uh, in a car, this like way back, and I had a Connecticut plate, and apparently I had my top down and seatbelt off in Times Square. And I was waving at, there was like some woman on the street and we were talking back and forth, and the cops pulled me over, man, gave me a ticket. And uh, we didn't pay the ticket on time, and I happened to be driving in Michigan. And they called me, I don't know, like you have a misdemeanor, but, um, or they called me out on the ticket that I had. Mm -hmm. They gave me the misdemeanor in Michigan for yeah. driving up there. I think I made a U-turn and it was wrong. And they were like, your license is suspended. Wow. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. My license is never suspended. But anyway, later I tried to get, um, I forget what it's called, but that pass where you can skip the line at the airport. Mm -hmm. And we applied for it and they were like, nope. You can't get it. And I was like, I'm me. You can Google me. I wear American flag paint on a blue suit every day. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay, man. Uh, and no, I couldn't do it because in, in their eyes, um, I'm a criminal, yeah. um, for lack of better words. And uh, so, so similar situation, but, but you know, magnified more. They can't do business, et cetera. So this policy would get rid of that. 
um, anything else that it does? Because also, does this legislation consider what your friend in the Bronx may have lost over the period of time between his misdemeanor or whatever it was and, uh, and this time? You know, like, what, what did he lose potentially? And it, do they try to vaguely gauge what did someone lose because of this sort of I think, structural discrimination? I, mean, I think it would be so hard to uh, quantify that. No, yeah, you know, when he's is. talking about having to, you know, call his mom and say that, you know, I got into Penn State, but I can't go here anymore. That's really tough. So, right, it could be like a qualitative thing for sure. But is there a fund saying we want to help you out first? Uh, um, not in terms of a direct restitution, but they definitely have uh, provisions in there that reduce the application fees for folks who want to get into the business who have some job incubating programs and things like that for folks that would uh, prioritize those people who have been impacted by prohibition. Sure. Um, right. It's interesting that word prohibition is back. Uh, it just triggers. Other, it makes me think about, <laughs> yeah. about whiskey and moonshine. I lived in Alabama for a few years and we we drank our fair share of moonshine. Some of my frat brothers, grandfathers, you know, just had it around. It was harsh. There was nothing great about it. But um, so, so that brings me to okay. So the so the bill fell apart mainly because, if I'm understanding this correctly, who was in control of distributing the revenues? I think that was the biggest hurdle. I don't know if that was the only one, and I think some of those <coughs> other ones. Uh, might have either been yeah, like what are some of those legislated uh, themselves or just renegotiated out? But I think that was the biggest. There was there was and still is some concern from law enforcement and you know parent teacher activists on some of our more suburban uh, Democratic members in the Senate. <laughs> um, so whether there is a percentage of the revenue from this or a dollar amount to address. DUIs or youth consumption or things like that that sure. would get them on board or if that's just what they're saying to say no we're not going to vote for it um, I uh, I question the and my the, not the just the NYPD but the police enforcement's motives in opposing this um, sure know, whether it's just like asset, civil asset forfeiture that comes from marijuana arrests I was going to say like you can or any in the number of ways that yeah you know, the corrections officers and some of these other folks that I don't want to speak for them, but one could see how they might line up on the other side of an issue like this. Sure. I'm and like, I don't want to get anyone in trouble, but yeah, this is a kind of like, if you want to speculate or say what you think, by all means, yeah, by yeah, all yeah, means you do. know, I don't uh, if you want words to words, but it. I know that they're concerned with it, but well, well, let's go into that. Then. I mean, is there a way, I think one of the more formidable arguments that have been made in the national news outside of the state is how do we determine who is uh, intoxicated, if that's the proper term, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like, what, what's too many drinks? I think, what's I think too many puffs? An, I think they call it impair, like Impaired. Impaired. impairment, to impairment. measure impairment. Do they use that for alcohol and... It, um, I haven't. I haven't done as much research into the uh, the alcohol side of it, but just sure. in you know when I'm sitting down with folks, and I know this is a concern of theirs sure. to look into where we are at. Impaired. And what people are looking for is a roadside breathalyzer for marijuana. Right, but did and it's a little bit it's yeah. a little bit more complex than that. Sure. Well, let's let's explore it in two ways. 
I'd love to know about the complexities of that and measuring it in general, but I think a, a question that comes to mind is, was there a roadside breathalyzer for impairment with regards to alcohol when we, when, like, I, I just did do, DUIs or DWIs yeah. exist before the breathalyzer? Most definitely. And yeah. they would do blood tests. And it's like right now, if you don't consent to the roadside sobriety check, yeah. you know, you and they go. think you're yeah. they're going to put you in the back of the car and we're going to get it from you one way or the other. Exactly. So. That's always the thing. You can always refuse it, but it's like, well, then you have to come with me to the exactly. station and I'm not, I'm not going to let you follow me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'll put you in the back and I'll, I'll give you a ride. I'll give you an escort. And uh, so the, the frustrating thing is for folks is that they don't have that and that they think that these, uh, this legislation would lead to more of folks driving impaired. The numbers in other states don't back that up, but that's, we could do better at building more trains and getting cars out of the state. Anyway, take a holistic approach. Absolutely, and I would. I'm also having driven yeah. back and forth across every five boroughs of the city. <laughs> you know, concerned about the impairment of folks just on regular old prescription medication. Oh, that's that a good one. There's that we not talk a, about. exactly. That I they don't have a, a roadside sobriety check for if somebody had you know one too many Xanax or something like that. Yeah, and that's probably more common than either. But, not to be too autobiographical, sure. but uh, you driving sure. and somebody, an officer, sees you speeding or something like that and pulls you over and thinks you might be yeah. under the influence. Yeah. So he'll take you out of the car and he'll give you a roadside sobriety checkpoint. You'll tuck your nose and all of that stuff. All and, stuff. and if he thinks it's close, he's going to say, blow in this little thing for me. Yep. And I, you blow a 0.00. He's yep. got a few things that he can do yeah he can either say you know you're free to go or if he's really concerned he's going to put you in the back of the car anyway and he's going to take you to the police station and he's going to take a blood test exactly they still have the authority and to do that. depending on how much money you want to spend on that blood test you can determine with a very specific degree whether or not uh somebody has consumed uh marijuana within the past number of weeks within you know you can get pretty specific with it but uh it's expensive, and, and people aren't interested. For the person or for the department? For whoever ends up having to pay for the test. If you're guilty, I'm sure it's going to end up being that person. But um, if you're not, it falls on the department. I, I, that that I, I couldn't speak to, but you know, I know one would assume. Pay for that, but, but yeah, I, I but, uh, So there's a way to test if somebody's under the, under the influence of marijuana. It's just expensive. There's a few prototypes, field si- roadside sobriety uh, uh, tools that have pilot programs in some in California and some in Massachusetts. Sure. Um, but to detect the active ingredients in cannabis in someone's breath, it's m- exponentially more specific than alcohol. Right. So they wouldn't be able to, from this is from what I understand, that they, even the best tools right now, wouldn't be able to measure impairment, mm. but they could say whether or not you consumed it within the past few hours. It's kind of crazy that you can't detect it from the breath, but a lot of times if people are walking past you, you can go, oh, they've been smoking. You, you, you certainly can tell it from the smell. <laughs> right. No, uh, and, anyway, and, yeah. and absolutely. And I honestly, I, based on the marijuana enforcement numbers that we've seen this far, sure. I do not think New York police officers would shy away from going that extra mile if they thought somebody was driving impaired. And for I th- safety or are you, are you I suggesting think for, I, I just think like for, economic I just reasons. think... Um, we, well, have, we are the king of marijuana arrests in the whole country. Oh, so we are. We're, we are by far one of the leaders in I'm marijuana learning. arrests. So it's yeah. like 800,000 within a 20-year uh, period. And how um, is everybody else doing? Is you have any comparisons there? Or? Not off the top of my head, okay. but I know okay. we're pretty bad. We're way um, up there, We also have a lot of people, though. 
for sure. And, and the other question I would point out to folks about um, who are concerned about people driving impaired is you look at alcohol. Mm-hmm. If we were worried about people driving under the influence, would we ban alcohol? Mm-hmm. Or would we regulate where it's consumed mm-hmm. to the degree you can consume it, right, of course. the toxicity of it, and use the revenue from that to launch huge, sweeping public persuasion campaigns against people driving under the influence? Mm-hmm. Which, if you look at it, I think has been some of the mo- more effective ways that sure. we've seen a, a, a Alcohol, steady decline drugs, in, in those things, whether it's tobacco and all that stuff, yeah, you know, tobacco, yeah. you know, kids shouldn't smoke. And so yeah. we make the tobaccos pay them to, you know, to pay to convince them not to, to yeah. some degree. So I think that, you know, there, there is some concern about uh, driving impairment from law enforcement, but I think that there are ways to, mm. to address those. And one of them being, you know, why is Massachusetts having a pilot program for field sobriety tool that new york isn't oh they are yeah uh, um, you know how it works uh, um like i said the you, tool you blow into it it looks like a breathalyzer but it's sure. just the science of it measures it a little bit differently and says if you you know test positive i think they have gotten it within a few hours but that's something that but it's if still, we have money coming in we could fund that type of research and and be a leader on that and establish something like that but this is still problematic to me in thinking about and you know i'm i'm, well, I'm talking about this regularly around you know how valuable leadership is in general and it it makes me think per my question earlier you know if we were uh arresting drivers stopping drivers based on the questionability of their you know perceived driving like you know if you're a cop and you're behind a car and it pauses too long in a red light or it swerves etc you're gonna stop them and make some assessments anyway and we were doing that before breathalyzers it's really interesting to me how after tech is in play, we can't either culturally or legislatively imagine the world before that tech. So it's like, I don't know what we would do pre-post breathalyzers. Like, I've been driving for uh, 20, nearly 25 years, uh, which doesn't seem like a long time to me, but I feel like I remember a time before breathalyzers. And then I remember them, and maybe, and maybe they were breathalyzers before that, I actually have a story getting away from a breathalyzer. And I know I was, I was at a basketball game. I know I, we had two whiskeys and two beers. And I, I think that is right at or above that .08 level. But we had to drive to an after party from this basketball game. And um, I went through the whole, you know, I think I paused too long in a light. And I was driving with friends. And we got pulled out. I did the whole dance of, you know, one foot in front of the other and saying the alphabet and, you know, did all that. It took a little bit of time. I blew in the breathalyzer, you know, maybe it felt like 15 or 20 minutes after they stopped me. And I was right under, it was like .06. And they're like, sir, you free to go. And in the back of my head, you know, you, you hear comedians say, you know, if you put a penny in your mouth or you do other things or you blow really hard, that you're good to go. And I, the logical person inside of me is thinking that that's not actually true. But you couldn't tell me when I got back in the car that I didn't do, pull off something sort of prolific. Anyway, um, that said, it's still, it's, it's interesting to me how a lot of states are sort of going to wait or they're using the technology as a crutch to say we mm-hmm. can't start to regulate this. And so... That takes me to a, a whole separate line of questioning and thinking, is this really more of a 
cultural and moral issue than anything else. We've always seen marijuana as a bad thing. When I was a kid, I remember it was called a gateway drug. Yeah. Right. And that was like crack era. And, you know, every city was we were talking about Harlem or, you know, Baltimore, Detroit or New Orleans or the southern part of L.A. County. It was like this. You know, if you're doing weed, if you're smoking weed, you're doing this next thing. Um, and a piece of that's still in the back of my head right now. I don't smoke now. I think more because I'm a control freak. Mm-hmm. But and I sort of hallucinate, you know, you try it when you go to college. But um, uh, is, is that more of a barrier? Like you, you bring up the PTAs. How powerful are the PTAs with, this, with the senators that couldn't get on board? Or did it really just fall apart as a budget war between the, the governor and the senators? I think both. I think that the revenue question was certainly um, an issue. Um, but over the senators in Westchester and Long Island that were holdouts, those mm. folks have a lot of sway. Yeah. Um, and so it will be interesting to see how the politics of this lot go through in those districts next session sure. with an early primary and then with a general election, seeing how that's going to impact them while they're there legislating this session, knowing that if everything stays how it is, that a few weeks after they're done, they'll have a primary uh, where folks... You think in June 23rd as the early yeah, primary? Or? Exactly. The, sure. the, the, yeah. the earlier than normal Sure. Um, for, for these folks. Um, so I think the politics for some of those... For the senators? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wasn't the last primary June 25th or... For last year, but oh. they didn't run yet. Yeah, well, they... I'm just thinking about... Well, yeah, because all of... Anyway, I, I ran in 2018, and I remember it was June, but, I mean, that's New York for you. Yeah, I get... You're right. It's right at the end of the session. So it, it will be interesting to see, you know, the the politics of this and being able to have to be more organized, to have folks, you know, acting it, like immigration organized. Exactly, exactly. We spoke about earlier that. Yeah, I thought uh, we were doing that on the air. So sorry, everyone. We were talking before this. Yeah. And we were comparing the marijuana activists in Albany. So you were in Albany. Yep, for a, a few days, and I was as a professional organizer, uh, really impressed with those uh, folks that came out to advocate for uh, expanding uh, driver's license in New York. Sure, sure. And I was also equally impressed with the um, marijuana justice activists who came out in equally hot weather and did... Oh, you were? Yeah, well, I was up there too, but there weren't many. There wasn't as many of them. They worked just as hard, but they just did, they didn't have the same numbers and the presence uh there and i don't think that alone would have put it over the edge but it certainly you know goes to show you that one got over the finish line and the other you know didn't um and they're both two controversial issues but but would you say so these are grassrootsy groups would you would you say like like Mm -hmm. what are some of the grassroots groups in Um, cannabis that we should know about like we know black lives matter we know what they are fighting for like and, and are they involved in, I, I feel like, you know, this issue, a big portion of it becomes a racial issue. Where, where are they on that? Um, so uh, I, I know uh, they're uh, in support uh, of it. They're specific, you know, talking about, I don't know sure. where they come out. But I know sure. they're on our side. But the ones that uh, we had worked and did a lot with organizing was Vocal New York, DPA in New York. Oh, Vocal, have, yeah. Have done, a, uh, have done a ton of work on this and, and really did a great job. And I'm looking forward to their leadership again on this uh, in the upcoming session. Um, but I think that the, the revenue piece was a sticking point. Um, the PTA uh, police angle was a sticking point. And then there was also a question about whether or not counties would be able to opt out of issuing licenses within their 
bounds or if they would be required to opt in. Um, so more of a proactive or a, a reactive approach. Um, and I think there's been you know, some compromise where folks have realized that getting this done is more important than letting that be the hill that they sure. die on. So I think that you know, it's obviously creates a better, I think it creates a better industry if it is available everywhere and then you let the places who wanna opt out legislate their way out as opposed to the other way because we mm. want to maximize the revenue we can get for this for all of the great things we wanna spend it on. And then also do the best we can to take uh, the market away from the uh, the black market, um, where other states who have created a real nuanced and complicated opt-in sure. process have seen the black market continue to to hold on to a huge market share. To that note, let's take a quick break. But when we come back, I definitely want to dig in more to um, who some of those groups are and the sort of the brass tax economics of distributing this money back and how much money, you know, we're talking about here. Uh, we'll be right back. You're listening to WHCR 90.3 um, FM, the voice of Harlem. So... 
that bush, burn that bush, for that bush it bears bad fruit. Burn that bush, burn that bush down, for that bush it bears bad fruit. Trying to convince you that he's more Oh yes, he's knocking Don't you answer cause he'll start another war No more war, sing me No more war Burn that bush, burn that bush now For that bush it bears Burn that bush, burn that bush, for that bush it bears bad fruit. And on and on and on and on. We're back. We're back. And um, if you're not familiar, uh, that was a song called Burn That Bush by Wet City Rockers. It's a, uh, a track I used to play a lot when I was mad at George Bush back in, back in those days. It's crazy saying that George Bush is back in the day. Um, but uh, no, so during the break, we were talking about the potential for success of this legislation um, in the upcoming session. Yeah, this go around. And you all, the, the Black Institute is going to sort of double down this is going to be a, one of the the heavy projects that you all are are advocating for in the next 12 months um yeah i think that it's uh or not, june is 10 months yeah not nine. just the yeah. the black institute but those groups that i named uh yeah, well, yeah tell us yeah vocal who are, new york who was uh, that so vocals in there um the drug policy alliance was there um we DPA, had okay um there was a uh, you know a, a a broad coalition of folks. Um, who's against you? Okay, so let, let's define so who, the, the so WWE ring. So you um, all are on one side. Who's I, on the other side? I think that ignorance. First of all, people just. I thought that was a group at first. Oh no no no! no. I think, first I think all, people Georgia. just uh, <laughs> you know being willfully ignorant on the issue at this point. Um, yeah. Still retrotting some of those things that we heard from the '80s and things like that. You know, gateway drugs and what have you and. You know, you can sit down and talk to them about, you know, the clinical research and how, how, they've, yeah. how they've got, you know, much different ideas about addiction and, and how one, uh, one arrives there. So uh, it's really you all against the culture. Exactly. There's a, that sort of general reefer madness out there. So I was at Abyssinian Baptist Church this morning, and I'm comfortable in saying this, and Calvin Butts is the, the senior pastor there, and I heard him give us a regular sermon. This was months ago about the potential of uh, marijuana legalization. And, 
you know, he said it was going to be the same as the crack epidemic in the 80s. And the congregation didn't really, you know, push back. But I know a lot of that congregation. And I know that a lot of them smoke. And it's not just young people smoking in a recreational way. There's a lot of old folks who need a lot of relief, who are smokers. They do edibles. Uh, they do oils. Uh, as a result, as sort of this this industry and the use of these products is rising. And I did. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was a bit naive to, to call it out that way. Uh, I think one thing that we do in these regular cultural and political conversations is we, we don't invite enough nuance into uh, what some of this legislation means and how the culture has changed over time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, definitely something to, something to take into account. So, all right, per how you're defining it, it's... Uh, a couple of you are, you know, vocal, who I'm, I'm very familiar with, uh, the Black Institute and others, uh, against really the just general conservatism. That and I think some more pointed opposition, you know, I don't think pharmaceutical companies see an expanded medical marijuana market in New York State as a great thing. Um, Interesting. And... Uh, smart have we seen them spending in any way well smart approaches to marijuana which is a uh, pretty ridiculous group of people looking to oppose marijuana it sounds like the other group you uh, named ignorance yeah. first or something <laughs> like that uh, just uh, group I need to start but they're yeah. pushing right now to have their donors not be public because I think that we'd be surprised as to where some of the lobbying efforts uh, from the opposition are coming from right um so the, the reefer madness side, I think we talked about some law enforcement concerns, some uh, you know parental education, that sort of that sort of angle. There are some concerns there, sure. And then there is the sort of the the revenue fight with the sort of the political opposition that that we bump into. Sure. I mean, for me, as this sort of the the resident, you know economist engineer in the room i'm always concerned with how we're distributing money in general making sure that it is that there is a methodological approach to ensuring that it is equitable and no i, I don't like the idea of the executive making this old decision um i also don't like the idea of uh ridiculous bureaucracy uh in place um, I always love the idea of markets being able to proliferate. That said, I understand that disenfranchised folks will always be, there'll be more roadblocks in their way. Like we were talking about earlier about the, the licensure uh, uh, for people who, you know, may have, uh, uh, you know, misdemeanors, felonies, you name it. Uh, but I want to go back to a number you, you brought up earlier to sort of make up uh, or try to make a point. You mentioned 800,000 arrests. Almost 60 a day in New York. 60 a day. People get arrested for... Um, so let's say in an ambitious way, if half of those folks got out, 400,000 people coming back into the city. Well, again, like they're not necessarily currently incarcerated, state. but it's just an arrest. Oh, so it's arrest. like it's 800,000 people. Do we know how many are in incarcerated? That number's out there. I don't have it here, but yeah. So, okay, so 800,000 people who are... Whether, but the, whether they're in jail right now or not, it prevents them from getting public housing, prevents them from getting financial aid, all sorts school, of so it's right. like, it really, it, whether it's, you know, you're physically restrained due to the, the arrest or not, it still right. can be 
you know, stifling. Yeah. You know, when it happened to me, I was worried my name was going to be in the paper and my mom was going to see it. So like that really? it goes to so, something as small as that. <coughs> Luckily, it was the county over, so nobody saw it. But um, right, right, right. But so no, it's as something as small as that. Oh, so to, this has affected you directly? Well, not really, because we talked about where I'm from and oh, yeah. I. Yeah. Went to court and I yeah. got a contemplation of dismissal and the judge says if you behave yourself for six months it goes away. It goes away. And right. so I walked my hand washed my hands of it and I still got to go to a great school and yeah. now I get to talk to politicians about it and other folks from where I live now in Canarsie don't have that same experience with the criminal process. Was it for holding or selling oh, it was, or smoking it was, on the street corner? It was possession. I had, oh, a, possession. I had a designated driver who didn't know it was, his, we were young, 16, yeah. 17, 18. Okay. It was his first time with easy pass at a toll booth. Okay. Okay. So I had a designated driver. He just peeled out of the toll booth and we were pulled over shortly after. Oh. And I got a possession ticket. Just and being young. Yeah. Young and dumb and I had, yeah. you know, and they pulled you out consume it all at the concert. <laughs> right. But, but on this, were you really going to a concert? No, yeah, it was at the Herkimer Brewery. Okay. <laughs> all right. I just want to like, no, yeah, no, make, absolutely. make it auto, No, so uh, yeah. it was just outside of Utica and, yeah. uh, and so no, I got a possession ticket and, but you know, I had the infrastructure around me to support me and go to court yeah. and get all that taken care of that, yeah. you know, some folks don't. So don't, I right. still got financial aid and, right. you know, haven't had, you know, that limit me in the same way that it, it that it can, uh, these 800,000 other folks or 799,900, you know, other than myself. Um, oh, it's around about 800,000. Yeah, it's like around, it's, yeah. no, it's around 8,000. Um, but the rates of arrest are four to one towards minority communities and the rates right. of use are the same. So... So I think so. Another fear, though, in the in the at least here, like in Harlem, when I talk to people about this particular issue, another fear is that the industry will be corporatized and co-opted. And I say that from a standpoint of you know, I've worked half of my career in policy design and advocacy, and the other half in, in sort of in some entrepreneurship. But the first half of my career was really in business process management. We called it corporate ethnography. Uh, we were looking at large institutions trying to streamline things and make them even larger institutions. And what I found, you know, over the years, really the 2000s, uh, was that, you know, we're sort of living in a world of extremely large supply chains. And on one hand, you know, we don't like, you know, monopolies when we think about antitrust, et cetera. So these large supply chains get in the, in the way. But on the other hand, they're really effective at providing us products and services at increasingly lower costs. And so this isn't necessarily the conversation for this. We have some unique ways in which to democratize the large supply chains. But from a political and a perception standpoint, I think when you're the little guy or you're any one of these, you know, 800,000 people or advocates that represent them, what you don't want to see is that Amazon and marijuana, you know, popping up, distorting the market. Um, so, and, and, and that is a, a, a big Because we've seen Ohio and, no. and arguments that happen and, there. And, and there's an angle of that in here in New York, too, because right now we do have 10 pretty big vertically integrated 
well, nine pretty big vertically integrated marijuana okay. companies, and then one that's much smaller. I didn't know that. So, um, so we have 10. And the 10th little cousin. Uh, yeah. Exactly. That, um, and each of those 10 places are completely in, vertically integrated. Can so. you give us any of those names? Um, the, the companies? Yeah. Um, it is. Not all of them, but any um, of them. MedMen, Vero Health. Um, Vero Health? Um, MedMen. Uh, Pharmacan is another one. How do you spell that? Pharma, uh, like with yeah, C-A-M? Yeah, yeah, C-A-M. Okay. Uh, um, but yeah, actually. Oh, CAM or yeah, can, I can pull uh, up here on, yeah. uh, during the break because I've got to list them off the top of my head. But no, so there's 10 here now. Yeah, so and their good. position is they would like to participate in the recreational market here because it's so big. Yeah. And there is some concerns. They're about, growers or are they doing more than that? But that's the thing is they, from the seed, they grow it, they sure. process it, they produce it, and yeah. they retail it. So they are those large They've got their in every piece of the market. You know, one of them is John, ba- Acreage Holdings is one of them. John Boehner is yep. the one that he's in charge of. Is, exactly. Is one, of the, is one of the license holders here in New Oh, they're over here. Yeah, so they operate well, we're right here next in New York. door, so yeah. And uh, and just a little bit about Syracuse, they have a grow operation in an old automotive plant that right, my, my family right worked in. So the, it's the uh, right. so they uh, so they're here already, and there is some concern about them participating in the recreational side of things because if you're somebody who's just gotten out for a charge related to this, how are you supposed to compete with a MedMen or something like that? Right. Um, so there's you get artisanal with it. You do craft. You craft beer it for up for sure, for sure. Yeah. But but <laughs> but no. But uh, but you know, similar to that, they yeah. would have on-site consumption licenses where you would have hash bars where you would be able to go and consume. You know, the, sure. the product around there. So it's like, how do we incentivize that market to grow? Um, there it would be. But there's a there, they have incubator programs. They reduce the application costs for folks. They they li- be in the state or they yeah be in the, these, the new authority the new authority that okay. they would create would limit the number of licenses for various size and scopes and different things. So, yeah. you know, you could say, you know, how many big fish you wanted in any particular pond um, sure. or, or, or what have you. Um, it makes me think about, uh, we, I've spent, you know, again, the second half of my life in software. And so you got, you know, FinTech or financial technology incubators and cyber and mm-hmm. you name it. So they'd incubate this out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the government body would incubate this out. Hopefully they do a bunch of, you know, partnerships with, Industry groups, I guess yeah. you would call and, and, them. And I but think yeah. that's sort of the devil's, just to go back, I think that's sort of the devil's bargain that they're sure. making with the medical companies right now is they can participate in the recreational field to some degree, but at a tremendous cost to help fund some of these other social equity incubator programs mm. um, to, I'm to with do that, it. But I hate that that's the carrot that we have to use to get health care to work because the new health care is the issue I'm concerned with the most and the reason I'm you know, quite enthusiastic about uh, recreational marijuana use is the fact that suicide is up 25% in this century. So we are, whether we've got our thumb on the pulse of why we are, we are depressed. It is a fact. And so what do we do to manage that hurt? Um, Whether it's, you know, hurt from war, hurt from the density of society or the lack thereof per how we're using tech and communicating in general. Um, there are a lot, there's a lot of nuance there that we won't have time for here, but um, I am not a fan of, and, but I get, you know, if, if any way to sort of pull another dollar back and redistribute it into the, the health of the economy, great, but I'm not a fan of having to use that to bend over, maybe that's the wrong language to use but anyway these medical companies and and to be honest i was disappointed with their 
level of participation in the fight for a legal a legal adult use. The medical companies, exactly. Like pharma companies, no, yeah, no, uh, no, just medical marijuana companies. The pharmaceutical medical marijuana oh. companies. But I would, oh, that's what you meant. I okay. would think that you know, I'm thinking about big pharma. But that yeah. whole thing, a rising tide lifting all boats. I don't know if they saw that yeah. as much of it. Um, and it was frustrating because in the last few days, when a the bill was sort of split into segments, and some of it passed and some of it didn't, the medical piece. Um, was segmented out and it didn't really um, have a lot of, it didn't address the fact that there's 10 mostly white male run companies that are dominating the marijuana industry in New York right now. Is it mostly or all? Like I do. I think there's one, there's one woman. There's one woman. uh, One one female owned. Yes. Um, And, uh, and so it didn't do anything to address for equity or social justice in that medical bill. But, Suddenly, some of the registered organizations, which is what they call the medical companies, took it upon themselves to reach out to their patients and say that maybe they should contact their legislators now and expand the medical program. But they weren't with DPA and Vocal New York when they were banging on the door for social justice. So, I I mean, I I hope that we can, you know, build more of a sense of coalition uh, on this in the future. But no, having, protecting the individual in this new market is going to be tricky and it's something that the new marijuana regulatory body would be looking at on a yearly basis in terms of the number of licenses that they would allow renewals application fees incubator programs and things like that they would have some discretion as to the you know the rule making of the actual industry right um so I, th- I think that's definitely a focus for them and, you know, really mm. makes it important to consider, you know, who's making those decisions for that body. That'll be an important, you know, position. We'll have the SLA chair people that handle alcohol and we'll have a whole nother board of folks looking to deal with cannabis in the same way that, you know, looking to in terms of, uh, you know, the size and the shape and the manner that the edibles can be presented as not to attract children to potency, to right. all of those things. Right, I think we started getting to Bill of Rights issues there, like some consumer Bill of Rights issues. Because uh, mostly during this conversation, we've been talking about the, well, the, the policy and then business mechanics of how it comes to life. But there are a couple of, you know, I think a lot of people uh, conflate business process with equity in general or they you know conflate equality like you know tide rising Mm -hmm. with equity which they are quite different and i think the difference is from tide rising giving everyone you know enough of a bucket of water where the people who are much more thirsty are drinking on the same level as people who are much less thirsty and so with this type of product, I think it could be a rare opportunity. I'm not wholly optimistic about it because of the people who are elected to office and the sort of, I think, education they need around what equity is versus, you know, we've been screaming and arguing for equality for the past 50 years. And quite frankly, I think it's a 20th century conversation that's um, not applicable everywhere. I think equality is a good uh, gender-based conversation. But outside of that, it is not the conversation we want to be having. We usually want to be having a conversation about equity. And equity is not just where's the cash payoff, but um, where is the residual from the growth of this industry uh, and even the influence of the growth of this industry? 
And um, yeah, I'm not confident that even with these incubators uh, and opportunities for small businesses to participate, that money is going to come back in, um, period. Well, I think that in the Senate and Assembly bill, uh, they do a very good job of allocating 50% of the revenue to a whole swath, a whole swatch of community reinvestment. Those were just the, sure. the two that we spoke about. But um, So it makes me think about how much money is in there. So it's a billion dollars? Yeah, it, we're know? looking at the, the, total, the total revenue from the industry would be with a B, a B at the end of it. If per what? Annum per year? At... 100% if we operate at capacity, yeah. I mean, in yeah. every county ops in. But not even every every county, because I think sure. no, nobody's going to be surprised when some upstate ones, some rural counties, sure. even Suffolk and Nassau, if they decide not to, you know, it'll survive. Sure, they, yeah. The question becomes is, in the first year, yeah. if only four or five counties get their act together enough to ballot and, you know, to get it legal there, sure. you know, it's slow. It's a slower build then. Mm. And then the black market has an opportunity to really dig in, and you might never actually get to the full potential. So Break that down. So what, what might the black market do, the, the underground guys do to, to um, distort I think the market that we're trying to build? It, it, they'll just you know, continue to operate and be focused in those sort of marijuana deserts that you see happening in other states. And what can they do? Cut costs there? I mean, cut enhanced product? There, I don't think there's as... Well, I think the product will be enhanced just because... I hear the product is already enhanced. I saw this Vox video that said <laughs> weed is way more potent than it used to be. And, well, I mean, and, and, well, what I know. But and it's just, you know, tomatoes are bigger and everything. We're just better at growing stuff across the board. Right. I didn't think about you that. know, yeah. so it's just... A, it's not just marijuana, but across the board, we're better at it but um <laughs> no it's just yeah. if, if if you know uh that yep. uh they don't have any other place to go or they have to drive a few hundred miles sure. to go to a regular retail so dispensary you know you'd be able to uh you know the worst case i mean we talked about it earlier but the sort of you know the cdc coming out against the sort of electronic vaping things sure. uh, things like that you know, God knows what they're putting in the, you know, the oil that they're selling to folks in, well, right. in a county know. that's in a county that ends up opting out of this. So the right. not only just the um, the black market gets a chance to continue making money for, you know, criminal enterprises, but uh, there's health concerns that uh, that um, are uh, are there. And you're still criminalizing folks in that county because they're going to somebody to buy it illegally. So in the same way that you'd be buying untagged cigarettes, you still like, even in this, if you went to a regular dealer and purchased it on your own, yeah, it would not be okay. If you got caught, you'd get in big trouble, not in big trouble. You would, you know, there sure. would, it would be a process you'd have to go through. You'd get so, in some trouble. Yes, yeah, exactly. Point, some degree pleasant. of it. So yeah, I think that is, it is a, a you know, uh, the market is a billion, uh, you know, a dollar with a billion behind it, whether it's one to three, depending on, sure. you know, how this stuff shakes out. Um, the marijuana tourism that might come from other places, if New Jersey ends up not doing it, but New York does, that's a whole nother, th you know, so. Marijuana tourism, oh, like Amsterdam? Yeah. Mm, okay. I mean, we, yeah, I'm just sort of thinking out loud. Colorado, here. you have seen an influx of it. You know, yeah, these I was, legal I just states, people Denver. plan their vacations around it. Oh, they do? Of course they do. Yeah. yeah. I remember, yeah, being there and everyone wanted to go to the dispensaries. Uh, 
Anyway, I was there for a talk, but I took family with me, and they just wanted to go and. And a lot of the the ones around the airport uh, have deals with the Uber drivers and the livery cabs and stuff like that. So when people come from the airport and say we'd like to go to a dispensary, they go in and sign the book, and there's some sort of you know deal between those folks taking people from the airport. You know, instead of going to the casino first in Las Vegas, they go to they go to the dispensary and then their hotel room. They Uber out. (laughs) Uh, So. There are some, you know, there are some ways that the revenue can go up or down, um, but there's going to be a lot of money, and I think that we're right to say that 50% of it should be targeted yeah. specifically for the type of community reinvestment. Well, you're giving me a lot to think about. I think we need to continue the conversation. I think uh, we're definitely behind in this conversation uh, in general, so I, I hope you'll come back and because I've got like 50 other questions, but... Uh, but thank you, Dan. Any, anything else uh, you want to say before we? Uh, no, get ready just to uh, if where you can guys, we see more about what you all? Are I was going to say, if yeah. you guys have any questions or want to see the work that we're doing at the Black Institute, you can go to theblackinstitute.org. Yeah, um, we're doing a lot of work with nightlife enforcement, looking to uh, address the racial disparities and how that's being applied. So we just came Love out it. with a report uh, last week, so you guys can take a look at that. Love it. And Bertha Lewis is back. She's back. Absolutely. I saw her. She was doing cartwheels and lifting weights. Oh, and no, she never left. She's, she's she never <laughs> left. Right. That's better. Yeah. I don't even want her here. I'm saying she's back. So all is good there. Uh, Dan, thank you. Oh, thank you. All right.